The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic, healthy holidays, happy taste buds, and a sustainable environment. Let Laura Stank show us how. We all have weather, and we all eat food. In fact, we do it several times a day. So here's a topic for us all. With the UN Conference on Climate Change, climate is in the news, and so is a new focus on food and the environment, what we eat, as well as how we grow and distribute it. Last week, we interviewed Keegan Kuhn, co-director of the film Cowspiracy, who gave us more information than some of us wanted about the impact of animal agriculture on the environment. But don't despair. This week, we're interviewing Laura Steck, co-author of Cool Cuisine, Taking the Bite Out of Global Warming. Laura has been talking about food and the environment for a long time, but she is not just giving us gloom and doom. She's offering us lots of ways that we can change our diet, get healthier, eat better, and help our planet. Laura is an expert. She's a chef, a health consultant, and a pioneer. So if you want to make a painless switch to a diet that is better for us and our world, stay tuned. And healthy holidays. And now, here's Beth. Hi, welcome to our show. Well, things have been popping over here at Interrevolutionary Radio, I have to say. Uh, we had a great interview with Keegan last week. And a lot of people are saying, oh, I think I better go vegetarian or vegan or at least I should come back on meat. And so there's a lot of interest in this topic. And Laura was with us. Oh, quite a while ago, a couple of times when we were on uh, Seventh Wave, which is another one of the channels of Voice America. But before we go on and interview Laura, we always, uh, in our you know latest format of the last few months, we always give news of the inner revolution. Well, I have to say that um, healthy holidays and taste buds and all sounds so great compared to some of the things we've been dealing with lately. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, we all know that uh, there's some pretty bad polarization going on in our world and there's a lot of violence of verbal and uh, otherwise. So we actually have some very positive stuff to share with you today. And so keep your ears open and your hearts open and let's, let's hear from James. Okay, just as Beth was saying, there seems to be an ocean of bad news about Muslim, non-Muslim relations these days between the terrorist attacks in the West and the hysterical reactions of some of our so-called leaders. What can get lost, however, is the good news about it. Today, we are dedicating the news of the inner revolution to some of that good news. We'll be giving more details than usual because these stories are so important. First, from Amy, one of our listeners, 50 million Muslims start peace campaign, and openly denounce ISIS. Yay! This is is an item, yes, in the Huffington Post, dated December the 4th. Each time the Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, or another terrorist group commits violence in the name of Islam, a familiar refrain arises. What's the Muslim world doing about it? In fact, anti-extremists 
efforts around in the, abound in the global Muslim community. Muslim leaders and scholars have denounced the Islamic State group, and in Indonesia, home of the world's largest Muslim population, a massive anti-extremism movement is underway. Now, did you catch that Indonesia is the home of the largest Muslim population in the world? I bet you didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, okay, some of you knew that, but most of us didn't know that. Okay, carry on, James. Okay. <laughs> Nadlatul Ulama, or NU, is the largest independent Islamic organization in the world with 50 million members. It was founded nearly 90 years ago in 1926 as a response to another Sunni movement, Wahhabism. The Islamic State is highly committed to Wahhabi principles, using its religious textbooks and embracing its hardline tradition of killing unbelievers. NU's stated goal is to, quote, spread messages about a tolerant Islam in their respective countries to curb radicalism, extremism, and terrorism, unquote, which it claims, quote, often spring from misinterpretation of Islamic teachings. It launched its global and extremis- extremism initiative in 2014. Now, NU is reported to be moving out even more globally with this message. We are very happy to hear this. Yeah, we tried to find them. They said they're in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We haven't been able to find them yet because we want to know more about these people, don't we? Anyway, yes. Okay. Next, we have a great story about Muslims and non-Muslims taking action to unite in the face of terrorism. It's a story following the San Bernardino terrorist attack that left 14 people dead. Before I share the story with you, I would like to ask Beth to talk about our response to the rising antagonism between Muslims and non-Muslims and what we're doing about it. I'm asking her to do that now because this story is an example of what we're talking about in our campaign. So, take it away, Beth. Well, what I want to say is, you know, we've had a lot of programs about what's going on, and we had on Ani Zonefeld from Muslims for Progressive Values and so on, and I, I literally can't sleep at night. You know, I'm so upset about what's happening uh, in our world and this religious intolerance and uh, also some of the behavior of some of our leaders. So, um, you know, I'm always asking, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? So... The th- what has come to us as an organization is to start something called the Campaign to Unite All Movements because it isn't just about Muslims and non-Muslims. It's about blacks and whites and gays and women and everybody. See that one of the problems that I see in the world is ego. You know, it's like it's all about me. So if it's, if, you know, it's all about me or it's all about my family or it's all about my community or it's all about my race or it's all about my religion or it's all about whatever, my school or, you know, my team. So everybody is fighting for themselves. Well, that isn't the way we're going to change the world. We have to learn how to care about each other and how to fight for one another. So I want to see Muslims coming out and denouncing uh, you know, the Donald Trump's, uh, you know, wanting to throw the, immig- the Mexican immigrants out. And I'd like to see Black Lives Matter speaking about the attacks on Islam and, and so on. And uh, it's all of us really need to be coming together to fight for all of us instead of just fighting for ourselves. And that's a big change in our consciousness that, you know, I think would turn the tide 
we got to do something to turn the tide. So this is what I think will turn the tide is for us to start showing that we care about one another and that we're as willing to fight for others as we are to fight for ourselves. Otherwise, we're all like wrapped up in our own community and we're exclusivist and it just doesn't synergize. You see, it doesn't work. So we have not only been doing stuff on Interrevolutionary Radio, but we also have put out a statement called the campaign to unite all movements and it's a simple statement that calls on all of us of different types whether we're the police or the we're the civilians or we're the Muslims or we're the Native Americans or whoever the heck we are that we are going to fight for one another instead of just fighting for ourselves that's how we are going to build a new world and so it's on our Facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash the inner rev or you can just go to our page you know, the innerrevolution.org, that's our website, and you can click on the campaign. And we're having individuals, we're asking also for organizations to sign on. We just got started, but we're beginning to talk to people. This is a strategy that I think will work. So anyway, I better shut up now because I've got to get James back on with the news because I, I know you guys will want to hear it from Laura Steck, but we've got to keep this going. This is like our world is at stake. So carry on, James. Okay. Now here's a story which shows that this unity is already happening. The story is from the Associated Press dated December the 7th. San Bernardino mourns its dead, calls for unity, not rancor. At a church, a mosque, a makeshift street corner memorial, and other sites, they gathered Sunday, December the 6th, to mourn the 14 victims of the San Bernardino Massacre. Residents struggled to come to terms with the violence and hoped the community would unite in mourning and not be divided by the disclosure that the killings were a religious, I'm sorry, that the killers were a religious Muslim couple. On Sunday, scores of mourners visited a growing memorial on a corner near the social service center where the shooting took place. There were American flags, a poster that read, Pray for the World, Balloons, Candles, and Cards. Many said they hoped the community would pull together. At the St. Catherine of Siena Catholic Church, where shooting victim Yvette Valesco worshipped, the service focused on the need to get beyond the anger. Many parishioners said they would reach deep into their faith to find some way to forgive. More than 100 people gathered for an interfaith and memorial service at a mosque where Farouk had occasionally prayed. Silver-framed photos of the victims were placed on a table at the Islamic Community Center of Redlands, with a candle lit for each. Muslim community members said they are feeling both grief over the loss and fear of a backlash against their community. They encouraged community members to come together and not live in fear. One of the people said, It is really sad that we meet because of this. It is sad not only in death are we able to celebrate humanity. This is from 30-year-old mosque member Arjarat Bada, fighting back his tears as he said this. Yeah. Well, that speaks for itself. So let's go on, James. Okay. Now, here's another positive story about a Muslim man who helped a non-Muslim and the impact it had. This also is really in the spirit of our campaign to unite all movements because it demonstrates what can be done when we fight not just for ourselves, but for one another. This story is from, from Christine, our producer. From Ilmfeed, December the 5th. Homeless man racially abuses a Muslim man who responds by finding him a job and a home. <laughs> Don't you love that? Boy, get a load of that. Yeah. Aminur Chowdhury from Bradford, England was racially abused by homeless man Ben Gallen, 
But rather than throw insults back, Amanur decided to engage in conversation with him and invited him to have a drink. Amanur says, Initially, I turned the other cheek, but then I was challenging Ben about what he had said to me. I stopped and had a chat with him for about 15 minutes. After speaking to Ben, Amanur said he can help him find a job, and the pair exchanged contact details. Initially, Ben thought he was only being polite about the job offer, but he says he got a call from him the next day with a job interview at a friend's business. She said, the next day he gave me a call, said, can I come pick you up, Ben? I've got an interview for you. That same day, he came round to, to get me, drove me down to the place on Canal Road, and then within 10 minutes, I had been offered the job. Amanur didn't stop there. He also helped him find an apartment to rent in Bradford. Ben, now regretting his actions, says, There was no justification for me using those words. Kudos to him for forgiving me. I regret it. A positive thing has happened out of this situation. Amanur explains what motivated him to respond the way he did. I was targeted for racist abuse, but a great way of overcoming racism is to show some tolerance. I realize I can't put the world to rights, but I can try to educate people. This is a great way of teaching Asian people across Bradford of how to respond to racism. The more love you show, the more endeared they will be to you. By the way, this story is particularly significant because some of the worst racially aggravated riots took place in Bradford in 2001 between the large and growing British Asian communities and the city's white majority, which resulted in 300 police officers being hurt and 297 arrests being made. Both men now hope this positive story helps improve the relations of different races and people of religions in the community. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, I think we'll just have to skip the last story because we are, I don't want to cut too much into the rest of our show today. But I'd like to say there are several more very positive stories coming out of England where there has been horrible, horrible anti-Islamic demonstrations and all of that. And, and just each, you know, both ways, a lot of antagonism. Uh, there's a great story about the, a bystander who was who was there when some Muslim said, I'm doing this in the name of Syria and started knifing people. And this guy said, uh, you're no Muslim, bro, which is like brother in our language. And I just saw a video that seems to have gone viral of a British soldier who lost his leg in Iraq and who was standing up. He was, some hate group was trying to recruit him. And he said, no, you cannot recruit me. He said, yes, my leg was blown off by a Muslim, but the man who saved my life, the doctor who saved my life is also a Muslim, and the nurse who brought <laughs> me back was also a Muslim. I am not going there. It just brings tears to my eyes. You know, at these times where it's either going to bring out the best of us or the worst of us, and, uh, you know, some of us, uh, you know, are still fighting the good fight. So, speaking of fighting the good fight, I'd like to introduce us our whole audience, those of you who have not met her already, to Laura Steck, who's been fighting the fight about global warming and food for way longer than most of us knew about. And, uh, you know, I'm so pleased to have her. And so, you know, it's, it's always a treat to have her on because she is so delightful and she knows so much about cooking. But I also respect and admire her so much because she was one of those voices in the wilderness way back when. So welcome, Laura, to our show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Laura. So, first of all, tell us 
uh, we're you know we have a couple of minutes for this first uh, in this first segment. Tell us how you got involved in the whole issue of global warming. Hmm. Well, I spent uh, the second half of my thirties and my forties working for an environmental organization. I had a food program, um, but. Uh, I was surrounded with people who had environmental awareness, and um, that certainly rubbed off on me. And the motivation behind the book itself was in 2000 and I think it was six or in 2005, I forget, the United uh, Nations came out with their Livestock's Long Shadow Report, which was... Oh, that was it. Oh, yeah, how, Go, uh-huh. and I had an NPR driveway moment. I was sitting in my driveway, <laughs> and this thing came on talking about how food cows were affecting global warming, and um, I went, oh, the global warming diet. <laughs> and I w- ran inside to see if anyone had used the title, and I said, that's the title of a book, and, um, and that's where it started. So now, did you not know about the link between uh, animal agriculture and global warming before that UN report? Well, I don't think that there was a lot out about it. I mean, we knew, you know, back in the late 80s, I I knew that the, um, whether it be uh, animal diets or just our sad standard American diet was causing environmental (laughs) havoc on our, on our, was causing environmental havoc. Um, but global warming, of course, we were all learning more and more about. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it probably pretty much around that time was, we were starting to realize that there really was. And, of course, now we have the science to actually be able to stand up and say something about it. Yes. Well, has anything changed uh, since you had that aha moment, that NPR moment, in terms of your understanding about the uh, relationship between agriculture and global warming? Well, definitely. I I thought the book would be a vegetarian book, and it turned out that we did report on uh, the role of beef in the health of the environment, which was never my intention, um, being a 17-year vegetarian and um, realizing that, you know, cows play a role in the health of the environment, which I found fascinating. Um, So that would be one thing. And, gosh, how has it changed more than that? Well, I guess guess what I mean is, are you... Are you realizing more? I mean, does it seem to you like there's more evidence of the detrimental impact of animal agriculture, or is this no news to you? Well, I feel when I became a vegetarian, so that was in the late, uh, uh, I became a vegetarian in 1982 or three, something like that, Um, there was a lot of information about just how much water it took to grow a pound of beef as compared to how much water it took to grow a pound of grain. And I always knew that it wasn't good. And certainly as science has moved on and our our society has moved on, we have more um, studies and more interest and and therefore more um, things to know about the detrimental effects of animal agriculture on the environment. Um, but at the same time, of course, then um, we have learned that there are positive um, effects of animals to the environment. And I think as time goes on, we definitely learn more. Uh, but we learn more in both ways. And uh, what, uh, what did uh, Einstein say? The mark of a genius is to be able to hold conflicting views in your mind yeah. at the same time and not go crazy or something. 
Well, that is a very good thing because I want to know about these positive impacts. We had last week, you know, we had uh, Keegan Kuhn, who is the co-director of Cowspiracy, and he did not have anything positive to say about animals in the agriculture. And I remember you bringing that up uh, on our show a long time ago. So everybody hang on to your seat. We're going to go to commercial break. And when we come back, we want to hear Laura's the other side. And I want to hear all of it. James really wants to hear about this too. So stick around because we have a fascinating conversation to come. Plus, Laura is going to help us with happy, healthy holiday cooking. So stick around. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Transform yourself and your world. Check out Beth Green's online community, theinnerrevolution.org, where you'll find effective support to become the person you really are. Find a variety of activities, including men's, women's, and family groups, low-fee counseling, workshops, events, and free support. Subscribe to our newsletter and receive a free PDF of Beth's book, Living with Reality. Meet a group dedicated to galvanizing the inner revolution sweeping our world, all at www.theinnerrevolution.org. I'm Beth Green, and I want to help you revolutionize yourself and our world. Take advantage of my powerful intuition in a private consultation that will amaze you. Discover my five books, three CDs of original music, School of Intuitive Counseling, upcoming workshops, trainings, and community. Sign up for my newsletter and get a free PDF of my book, Living with Reality. Tune into Inner Revolutionary TV, my channel on voiceamerica.tv. Find this and more at my website, theinnerrevolution.org. Be part of the inner revolution sweeping the planet. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green on the Voice America Variety Channel. And now, also enjoy Beth's channel, Inner Revolutionary TV, on voiceamerica.tv. See inspiring videos about our guests and the inner revolution. Hear commentaries that will help clarify our time. And watch interviews of people who will matter to you. Think outside the box. Watch Interrevolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're tuned in to Interrevolutionary Radio with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to Interrevolutionary Radio. Hi, welcome back to Interrevolutionary Radio. We are interviewing Laura Steck, who has her own views on animal agriculture, the environment, and all these, uh, you know, what's going on. And, uh, uh, there is, you know, Keegan made a very, very, very good case for the problem of uh, around land utilization of animal agriculture. And the other thing that I did read recently, uh, Laura, is that, you know, they're expecting more and more and more people in the world, they're ex- the, the, you know, to start eating animal products. So it's not just us. I mean, this is becoming a worldwide issue and how much land is being used for animal agri- agriculture. But there, uh, apparently, 
there are some benefits that animal agriculture has too, and I think it would be just interesting for us to throw that in. And before we do, I'd like to bring Christine Benton onto our show. I, let me explain that we've been having some weather-related issues here, and we were afraid we were going to get knocked off the air. So we asked Christine if she would be with us today, just in case. Oh, she's having headset issues. Oh, well. <laughs> Well, we won't be bringing Christine on right now, but we're going to go straight to Laura. So what do you see as some of the benefits of animal agriculture? And yet you yourself are a vegetarian. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm reading uh, Cool Cuisine here, page 98, and our book came out in 2008. But the, so a study in, in Cornell, from Cornell 2007 said that they, they studied to see how much land it took for a meat diet and for a low-fat vegetarian diet. And yeah. a low-fat vegetarian diet needed less than a half an acre per person per year um, yeah. to produce the fo- food, whereas high-fat diet with a lot of meat used 2.1 acres. Uh, the study showed that environmental efficiency could be obtained eating meat if New Yorkers reduced their daily meat and egg consumption by approximately two-thirds from 5.8 ounces, which is the average American consumption, to about two ounces per day. So I think that's a great way to start. Um, I, it's interesting that I would be defending beef. Um, I know, I know, and I'm not trying to put you in beef. that. <laughs> right, I'm not trying to put you in that position. It's just that you brought it up, and so I feel like you know, to be honest, I've got to give that voice a voice, right? Oh, absolutely. No, I, 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 I think it's true. I, I that's where I, ha- I take. I, I have not seen cowspiracy, but I'm interested to see it to see if there's any new information that we haven't been talking about for years. Um, you know, we eat too much meat. And yeah. when I worked um, directly in Kaiser uh, Permanente, which was, which was a hospital, it's an HMO out here, and when we would talk to people about their diet, um, we would say, what do you eat? And they're, you know, eat a lot of beef. Or, you know, and then you'd say, well, you know, we, you want, we, we hope that you will learn to, you know, cut down on beef. And, and what do you think would be the average response a person who eats a lot of beef would say to us when you say to them, well, it's time to cut down on beef. <laughs> Tell me. The average response is, well, what do I eat? Oh, yeah. People okay. don't know what to eat. Okay, now so that's cool. Of, that's cool. There you go. <laughs> so instead of coming at people in the negative way, oh, you're bad because you don't know what to eat. Oh, you're stupid because you don't know what to eat. Oh, you're screwing the environment because you don't know what to eat. You're not as good as me. I'm righteous. You're not because you eat too much meat. None of those things are the way to handle anything. The way to handle it is to give people options. You need to tell people what to eat, not what not to eat. Yeah. We're too quick to say, don't eat this and don't eat that, but people don't know what to eat. So we need to give them options. We need to make our food, we need to treat our vegetables more like meat. We've talked about that before on your program. We need yeah. to learn how to season uh, uh, plant-based proteins so that, they have to, so that they taste good. We need to learn how to use herbs and spices. Meat has nitrogen. Plants are, have carbohydrates. Nitrogen is a more complex compound flavor-wise, even, even if it's not um, heated, than carbohydrates are. The reason why most of us like meat is because it comes with its own own sauce. It's already seasoned. So we need to learn how to do that with plant-based proteins because plant or plant-based foods, plant-based foods predominantly are carbohydrates and they're not as complex. So it takes education and a couple cooking classes. And since the average uh, amount of people that ever take a cooking class when I teach corporate 
um, is about a quarter of the class. You know, we are a country of illiterate people when it comes to preparing food. And that's really where to start. Don't blame people for what they eat. Teach them to make something that they love that's not based in meat so they can reduce the amount of meat they eat or eliminate, whatever. And that means we can use our land in balance with the role of the hooved animal, which is a beautiful role that the hooved animal plays to the health of the land and the soil. That is, you know, I don't know which way to go. First of all, let me say that in Cowspiracy, they don't come down on people for eating meat. I know you said you haven't seen it, but just to... Uh, oh, they don't okay. do... The, oh, no, not, not at all. They say, this is the information, now you decide. And um, I, I think they've done a great job. They also Good. talk about the fact that over 50% of greenhouse gases come from uh, the, the utilization of animal agriculture. When you consider all, you put all the factors together. That's intense. I mean, we are now in a time where we really have to do something about global warming. So there is that piece also about this, uh, you know, which is very, very important. Not to speak of, for some people, you know, the idea for me, like if I had to kill an animal in order to eat it, I would have I never have eaten meat in my whole life. You know, I'm a hypocrite. I let somebody else kill the animal and then I eat it, you know? So, <laughs> but you'll be happy to, I think you'll like Cowspiracy because they do not do that. But they are saying these are the facts. And I do believe that there is much more awareness now about the, the impact of greenhouse, the various uh, kinds of greenhouse gases, plus the cutting down of the uh, Amazon forest, does make this feel like a kind of an urgent matter. And we're taking on fossil fuels. We have to take on all of it. So I think that's, that's really more the energy behind it. And I love what you're saying. Let's do something wonderful with food that isn't reliant on meat. So much of it is habit. And I'm going to tell you that, James, we were very impacted by having you on our show, uh, uh, and it was a long time ago, so we have a lot more listeners now who didn't mm-hmm. get to hear you. We were impacted, I mean, about the way James, James is the cook because I'm disabled, so the way came James cooked vegetables and so on. But after the, watching Cowspiracy, he was like, oh, we got to really make a change. So he's like getting into the vegetarian cookbooks, your cookbook, many other cookbooks. And every time we have a vegetarian meal, which we are now down to every other day, we have either chicken or fish. Some t- and maybe not even every other day yet, because as I say, we're using everything in the freezer. And on the days that we're not having it, he makes these delicious meals. And I'll say to him, do you miss meat? And he'll say no. <laughs> I really don't miss it. And I think that's your point. That's right. Is, is that, um, you know, if people love what they eat, they're not looking for something else. It's the same thing, the same kind of situation, I think, that we have with sugar and uh, other unhealthy things. If When we have something delicious that's natural, that has no sugar in it, or that is made with stevia and we love it, um, we don't have that craving. We don't have that psychological or emotional need. And it's being satisfied. We feel like we're being nurtured rather than we're being deprived. There's so, one other thing that I'd like to add to that. I don't yeah. want to interrupt. And that is, if I can do that, anybody can do it. Because I was the kind of guy, you know, I cook like a bachelor, you know? Get, get some frozen foods out and uh, heat them up, <laughs> you know? And then eat them up. But no, now uh, just by, by virtue of getting recipes... And following the recipes, I've turned into a really good cook. He has. Yeah. yeah. So, 
<laughs> so I think what you were saying earlier was fascinating about there's this natural flavor that meat has. It creates its own sauce. And we have to be more uh, creative, maybe, in order to make things taste good. And I love that idea. So why don't you pursue that for a minute for the, all the people who didn't hear you last time? And by the way, James, why don't you give our phone number in case people want to call in? Sure. That number, if you'd like to call in with a question or a comment, is 866-472-5788. Thank you. See, we haven't been doing, uh, we haven't been having a lot of callers lately, so people have gotten out of the habit <laughs> of calling oh, in. Oh, so okay. Yeah, because we've been, I've been interviewing people and it's been, uh, uh, very, uh, you know, if we, we just just hasn't had we haven't had time. So, could you talk a little bit more about how do you make a vegetarian diet delicious, interesting, and something that you want to eat instead of, oh no, not a hamburger again? Absolutely. So, um, for, back to the idea of nitrogen versus carbon, um, and nitrogen being a more complex uh, flavor compound, and we want to treat our vegetables more like meat. Um, we uh, discussed the last time on the show that vegetables have secrets, and the secret of vegetables is that vegetables are sweet. And you say, oh, Laura, I'm looking at an onion, and an onion is not sweet. (laughs) But we all know that when we chop it up and we start to saute it, what happens? It gets sweet. It gets sweet. And why is it getting sweet? Why? Tell us. The carbohydrates are caramelizing, so we're caramelizing an onion. That's something that we, uh, many of us know and do often. Um, but all vegetables have carbohydrates, so all vegetables can caramelize. When we caramelize, the sugars heighten or they become sweeter, but it requires a temperature of 330 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. So are you smarter than a fifth grader? What no. temperature does water boil at? <laughs> 220? Yeah, well, 212. Water boils <laughs> 212. at 212. Well, it was almost. I knew it had a two. See, I'm not smarter than a f- fifth grader. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so throughout the, even the addition of moisture in our scientific equation, if you boil and steam all of your vegetables, which most people do, your temperature doesn't get hot enough to bring out that secret. And the secret is that vegetables are sweet. And the temperature is 330 degrees Fahrenheit. So um, that's one thing in particular. We want to roast vegetables. We want to grill vegetables. We want to saute our vegetables or broil our vegetables in order to get that effect. And so so you, put in, you put your vegetable in the oven at 350 degrees. It is automatically going to be pulling out that sweetness just because it's over 330 degrees. Yeah, and the place where the sweetness comes out, the place where the vegetable is caramelized, is the place where the vegetable touches the pan. Oh. So if you're constantly sauteing, if you're sauteing something but you're constantly stirring, your yes. vegetable isn't touching your pan. If you're roasting vegetables in your oven but you have too many, so some of the vegetables are kind of piled on top of each other, the ones at the top will be getting steamed more than caramelizing because the place where the, the, the heat is conducted the highest is the place where the vegetable touches the pan. So that's one basic kind of very important thing that people need to know when looking at plant-based foods is that idea that oil and steaming, you know, we need to treat our vegetables more like meat. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. James. 
Yes. Listen to all of this. I'm Isn't taking that amazing? Just yeah, everything has to hit the pan. Yeah. And I mean, it, this, is, this is a life-changing uh, discovery for, for some of us. Right. Yes. So when you're sautéing, what I like yeah. to keep around the pan is, you know, I, I heat up my oil, I add in my vegetable, I stir in the oil into the vegetable, and then I have the guts to put down the spoon and walk away. Ooh. Why? <laughs> because I want those vegetables to touch the pan. It's not, sautéing isn't, isn't stirring constantly. Sautéing you, you stir something when you need to combine ingredients yeah. or when it might be getting too hot and you need to add some air into the pan. You don't want things to stick. But sautéing includes time where you're not, where the vegetable is just lying in the pan by itself. And when I need to uh, reduce that temperature or maybe add a little something because the vegetables are getting too hot, I keep um, a little spray bottle that has water next to my stove, and this is a great gift for someone for Chris for the holidays, actually, um, a spray bottle, small, that kind of, you know, what you might use for your iron, except mine is cute and smaller, it's green, and it's not like that ugly brown or whatever, you know, just whatever, <laughs> things that people use for their irons, but, um, okay. and then you can, if you need to add a little moisture, you spray the water or stock, you can even put stock in there, into the pan, and that adds enough to, to, to give a little moisture, but it doesn't reduce the temperature down if you were, say, pouring in some water directly. So you yeah. want to keep that temperature hot, and one way to do that is just to have a spray bottle. That's another additional tip that keeps your temperature hot but allows you to be able to introduce some moisture and some... Um, just some added, uh, you know, uh, yeah, moisture into the pan so you can keep the vegetable from burning. How do you keep the uh, oil from smoking? Well, you know, you want to make sure that you're using the right kind of oil when you saute. So mm-hmm. first off, you don't want to use um, uh, a, a non-refined extra virgin olive oil for a saute. What you want to do with saute is either um, uh, a refined olive oil or you want to use something like avocado oil, rice bran oil, sunflower oil, uh, coconut oil. These are uh, high, have a higher smoke point and oils that are better for sautéing. So don't use your very expensive, um, extra virgin, non-refined olive oil in your pan because not only is it not a good oil to sauté with, you're basically wasting your money uh, because you sauté the flavor out. I had um, no then, idea. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, yeah, and then, um, you know, medium-high is really where we should take our saute. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's at about a temperature of 390 to 425, 390 mm-hmm. to 4, some might even say 440, you know, 450, but it's, it, it's yeah. around... 375 to 425, I think, would be. And that's the temperature that you saute with. So you certainly can use extra virgin olive oil to saute. You just don't want to use the unrefined, really high-quality um, uh, oil to saute um, with because other, other oils that you don't want to saute with, let's say it that way, would be something like sesame oil. Um, we don't really want to do high heat with butter, um, walnut oil, Cashew oil, these pumpkin seed and toasted sesame seed oils. Um, you might even say lard is not something that you're necessarily um, sautéing in high heat. So, um, 
Yeah, so medium-high heat and... And the right kind of oil. You know, you might get a little smoke. I mean, I, 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 you're... You don't that, want your but that's oil okay. to set on fire. You don't want all the smoke to come out of the pan. But if you get a little, if you see a little wisps of smoke, we'll turn down your heat. But um, and if, if, if it really about starts it. smoking, then replace it. Okay. Well, you know, Laura, you may think I'm kidding, but these are remarkable pieces of information. <laughs> I didn't know about this. I mean, you know, saute or fry. What? I mean, I did not know. I didn't know that you need to let the vegetables stick to the pan. And we're going to be taking a break now before we, you know, our final break. But I I just can't tell you how amazing it is just to get this little tidbit of information that could make a big difference in somebody's life. So we're going to be getting more tips from Laura Steck when we come back from commercial breaks and stick around. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Transform yourself and your world. Check out Beth Green's online community, TheInnerRevolution.org, where you'll find effective support to become the person you really are. Find a variety of activities, including men's, women's, and family groups, low-fee counseling, workshops, events, and free support. Subscribe to our newsletter and receive a free PDF of Beth's book, Living with Reality. Meet a group dedicated to galvanizing the inner revolution sweeping our world, all at www.TheInnerRevolution.org. I'm Beth Green, and I want to help you revolutionize yourself and our world. Take advantage of my powerful intuition in a private consultation that will amaze you. Discover my five books, three CDs of original music, School of Intuitive Counseling, upcoming workshops, trainings, and community. Sign up for my newsletter and get a free PDF of my book, Living with Reality. Tune into Inner Revolutionary TV, my channel on voiceamerica.tv. Find this and more at my website, theinnerrevolution.org. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To share your questions and comments, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to Interrevolutionary Radio. Welcome back to Interrevolutionary Radio. This is Beth Green and James Maynard, and we're talking to Laura Steck, who is the author of uh, Cool Cuisine, Taking the Bite Out of Global Warming, and she's talking to us about having alternatives to animal agriculture, not, you know, to give people something that they want to eat, and we have a caller. Uh, it's Elizabeth from um, San Diego. Welcome. Hello. Thank Hi. you. Hi. Hi. Um, I would like to know some good ideas for somebody who is not yet vegetarian, uh, what some good protein sources are besides beans and cheese and eggs? Good protein sources besides beans, cheese, and eggs. Yes. So does that mean soybean, uh, tofu, tempeh, you're not interested? You, you, are you playing with that and 
or, or you want to know more about that, less about um, Well, yeah, actually, that brought up another question because I've been informed that um, tempeh is not necessarily good for women who are premenopausal. So do you know anything about that? Well, wouldn't that be the same thing with the estrogens and soy or something, and that's why you should be keeping lower on that? I mean, I, no. So I'll say no, I don't know about that. Um, okay. I would say probably the amount of temper that you eat is not going to affect uh, menopause. It certainly didn't affect mine, but, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, but everybody I think, should. I think what Elizabeth is asking is what other options of protein other than, for because people know about beans and cheese and eggs, what other yes. kinds of proteins, animal proteins are there? You mean vegetable proteins? Well, the highest. I mean vegetable highest, proteins. Yes. Yeah, well, the highest grain protein-wise um, is uh, quinoa. Um, has the highest. Hmm. It's a complete protein. It's the highest protein, um, and I would definitely play around with that. Um, I am a, a big fan of uh, tofu. Um, I, I like tempeh. In fact, I have a. I thought we might be talking dishes, and I've got a simple recipe where you're baking tempeh um, in a pan and in, in a Dutch oven in cranberry sauce, and that comes out really nicely. Um, I, I would also encourage you to uh, play around uh, if you don't have gluten issues with seitan, which is basically the protein that's left from uh, wheat. Uh, where you make a dough and then you give the dough a bath and you squeeze out all the starch and what's left is a, a ball of protein that you can then use for really anything. And um, uh, you can even buy seitan now at the natural food stores and I think that's a great um, option. Um, but I, I think the vegetarian world would tell you that protein is not as important as many people have, as we've grown up to think that it is, so really exploring more with grains and vegetables um, is uh, a a good option. Uh, You know, it's funny, I think we grow up so much thinking about protein, 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 so now we're all stuck on uh, eating meat or protein, and yet we're still, we we know that the thing that we're supposed to be eating is vegetables, and and yet we're not really talking about that, so I'll move it from protein and say learn to eat more vegetables, a little (laughs) bit of protein on the side, whatever it is, and a little bit of grain. I mean, for me, what my plate is, is often is just vegetables. Now, I'm a 53-year-old woman. So that might be different. I don't need as much protein as a, as a child or even someone in their 20s or 30s. But, um, you know, I encourage you to learn how to cook more with, um, with vegetables and make vegetables at least 50% of your plate and whatever protein you have, whether it be meat or soy or um, bean or, or whatever, have that a smaller amount and the focus is really mm-hmm. on um, the vegetable. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. And by the way, I mean, certainly nuts. nuts. Don't forget nuts. You know, nuts. Yeah, no, so I was going to say that we have a couple more callers. So thanks for calling, Elizabeth. And now we have All Todd right, in San you. Diego. I just want to thank you, Laura, for everything you've been sharing. It's been so uh, enlightening. Uh, and things that, you know, I worked in restaurants. I, I wasn't a chef. I worked in the front of the house. But um, just these things, I mean, they kind of intuitively, I knew that, but I never had the explanation about keeping the vegetable on the pan. Yeah. And, um, I just think that, I mean, it's really, I'm really, I watch Cowspiracy too, so I'm, I'm really changing from going from, you know, eating some meat and barely any beef but chicken and fish to really going completely vegetarian. So I want to thank you for, uh, for that. And also, I did a roasted butternut squash and did exactly what you said. I put it on a, like a, a flat pan in the oven. It was so good. I just pureed it in the Cuisinart. 
and oh my God, it was like dessert. Yeah, you get that well, sweetness coming from that connection to the pan, and that is gold. Yeah, and it's very filling. I mean, it's very hearty. I had it for like three days. Uh, I, get, I tried to get my family all in, so I'm like, this is so good. And they all try it. They're like, well, wait a minute. What did you it. do? What did you do with the butternut? Did you put it, cu- cut it up into pieces, and stick it in the pan and roast it? I just cut it in half and put each flat side, you know, oh. the flat side down, right. and just roasted it for like uh, about an hour. It's probably a little bit too long, so it got a little too caramelized. But I, I probably should have washed it a little bit more closely. I yeah. looked at the, you know. But anyway, that's that's what I did. Well, that is very cool, and I, I, I agree, Todd. This is so, it's exciting and it's formative, and I think that we need to be looking forward rather than backward. It's like, okay, yeah. if our world needs to eat either less meat or none, uh, certainly less, why don't we look forward to it and say, how can we enhance our lives? Uh, now we have, uh, thank you, Todd, and we have another You're caller, welcome. Helen from San Diego. Hi. Hi. Um, I was going to ask Elizabeth's question, so I'm racking my brain trying to think of some other question. But I did think of another question. Okay. Um, after hearing Keegan talking, it solidified my commitment to go vegetarian. Um, and I really like to go vegan. But in either event, one of the things that I do not hear discussed is all of the current research about how bad sugar is for you. And I don't mean caramelized vegetables. I mean adding sugar. And one of the things that that it's talking about in the 30-day vegan challenge that's on the Cowspiracy's website is, you know, all about the, the wonderful sugar things you can make and still eat when you're a vegan. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so I just wanted to get your input about that with all the research that is showing how bad it is for you. Why aren't people dealing with that more? Well, yeah, I completely agree, actually. Um, I think um, the the studies are showing that um, the reduction of eating uh, highly processed uh, food, whether it be uh, white rice or white bread or white sugar, is nothing of favorable to our blood sugar at all. And what's interesting is the less you eat, the more you eat, the more you want to eat because sugar is addicting. And I, this is my perspective from being a sugar addict. When I was younger, I had an eating disorder, and I was definitely a sugar addict. That was a main part of it. Um, the, the more you eat, the more you want to eat. Uh, in my opinion, and not um, and others as well. And the less you eat, what's interesting that happens is you find that you react stronger to it. So sometimes I think our body just gets used to certain things. So the example is today I didn't I forgot to bring my lunch to work, and when I was at the grocery store shopping for work because I uh, one of the things I do is work as a private chef. Um, the grocer or the, the guy behind the counter offered me a piece of cornbread. He said, have you ever tried a cornbread? I said, no, I haven't. So he gave it to me, obviously highly processed. It was the only thing I had um, while I was working. Um, so I ate this piece of cornbread and it had such a dramatic effect on my blood sugar. I just felt kind of sick. You know, I didn't eat anything else. I mean, I had the morning I had a fruit and I had some cottage cheese. So this was all I had for the afternoon. And I ate it and I just felt sick. And it's because it was just too much sugar that was all of a sudden introduced into my body. And I'm not used to it. So that's another thing is you actually become more sensitive and you start realizing what's really happening. Your blood sugar is being whacked out. It happens pretty quickly. Some people are more affected by others, but the more you eat, the more you are less affected by it because your body's just used to having those ups and downs. 
Um, yeah, I encourage people to find their ways to make their food sweet without necessarily added sugar. And starting with that idea that vegetables are sweet and bringing in caramelization is one of the things that macrobiotics taught us. Um, because then, if you can make your food naturally sweet, um, then, which we all crave, you will, might find yourself craving less sweet um, from the raspberry cheesecakes and the blueberry buckles <laughs> at the end of the meal. I, you know, I could not agree with you more. I love that. In fact, James and I have a new creation. We make candy out of carob, toasted carob powder that has not, it's no, no dairy and no sugar in it, no stevie, no nothing. We have put it together with almond butter, and it's like having dessert. It's so good. And we just don't, we don't have sugar in our house, and we don't miss it either. And it's the same thing, really, as I think uh, so much of the meat thing is, is we're more mentally geared to eating a certain way and thinking that that's what we want. And when we give our bodies what they need, our bodies start speaking to us and saying, no, no, please don't do that to us. Well, I, I can't believe we're, we're coming to the end of our time already. I, I have a, a question. Laura, if you had any recipes that you were going to share with us, if you could email them to me, we can post them on our Facebook page. All right, and, yeah. And then that's so much better anyway. So we can put out a post uh, saying, hey, this is some recipes from Laura's deck. And, um, and, um, and you're going to you're working on a new book on vegetables. Is that what I heard? Yeah. Yep, vegetables. Uh, we're working on that book. And, um, yeah, I think the other one last thing I wanted to say about um, vegetarian eating is anyone who's, who's cutting down on meat, make sure that you Google the word umami, U-M-A-M-I, umami, which is the, the fifth taste or sense in, uh, in our diets that originally comes from the East, specifically uh, a Japanese perspective. Um, if you cut out meat, you often cut out umami, um, but you don't have to. There are foods that have natural umami in them, things like soy sauce, eggplant, tomatoes, Parmesan cheese, um, different types of foods, uh, miso, and you want to, it's based on the glutamates that are in the soy or in the product itself, the food itself, and um, it adds a depth of flavor that meat gives us naturally. So definitely if you're eating vegetarian, look into the concept of umami and make sure that you're working that into your diet and you will find much more satisfaction from the food that you're eating. Wow, another hot tip. (laughs) James, tell us what we're doing next week. Yes, up next week. Is this the best of times or the worst of times? Christine Benton interviews presidential candidate Beth Green to find out. Does this feel like the best of times to you? Probably not. Well, host Beth Green feels like they are because we can have an unprecedented opportunity for humanity to really transform if we choose. Is she nuts? Tune in and find out. And if you happened to catch the show about a month ago, you heard Christine Benton interview Beth about her presidential bid under the flag of the Oneness Party. Beth discusses some of the issues racking our world, particularly terrorism, Islam, and intolerance, which were on all our minds following the Paris attacks and now the San Bernardino attack as well. Many listeners want more, so this time around you can call in and ask for Beth's perspectives on the many other issues facing us today. Beth's views are always insightful, balanced, and usually unexpected. And somehow she manages to turn the grimmest realities into an opportunity for us to laugh at ourselves. Christine will interview Beth again, but call in too. Is this the best of all times or the worst? Tune in, call, and judge for yourself. And now, final word from Beth. Thank you. Laura, your website. 
Oh, laurasteck.com, L-A-U-R-A-S-T-E-C.com. Thank you. Laura, you are just like an encyclopedia of vegetable news. <laughs> and, you know, you're a, just a delightful person. I'm so happy to have you. You can send us those uh, a couple of recipes. Love to share them with our people on Facebook. And, uh, you know, let's get excited about the future of food, about what we can do that's new, that's interesting, that, you know, will take us to new heights and interests. And I I don't know what I mean. I I just feel very uh, enthusiastic. I love James' new cooking. And I know that your show today is going to help us to have even more delicious food. (laughs) So I love to be doing what's good for the planet, what's good for our health, what's good for our souls all at the same time. Bless you, Laura. You're a delight and a, a great gift to us. Thank you, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays to you. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.